This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Oh, it's so weird that people don't say good morning back, but... <laughs> good morning. It's, um... Good morning. <laughs> yes, thank you. You can wave. I saw that. <laughs> morning. Aww. I love you all. You're so sweet. <laughs> I actually, I have to say that um, I've been, I've been uh, stressed and um, kind of, I guess, maybe overwhelmed uh, in these past few weeks um, for a number of different reasons, but largely because of, um, I think that there's just, there's always so much to do. But I think I um, have naturally relieved feelings of uh, uh, building of overwhelmed feelings by interacting with people face to face and I'm noticing that that's um, even though I'm on in meetings throughout the days and um, there's there's a definitely this feeling of missing people um you know physically in, in the same sharing physical space um with all of you and uh despite uh the ends of our periods of zazen together where we chant together and um sometimes there's some interaction i really miss just being in the foyer after uh you know after service and um you know just hearing about how people are doing in this very casual actually casual way um, at the same time i'm um seeing a lot of people in uh face-to-face -face in practice discussions which feels um very inspiring to me to hear uh people's practice people speaking about their practice their practice lives and um, I'm actually quite struck that uh, I've been reflecting that many people who speak to me about their what's happening in their practice, for the most of the time, it feels like it has nothing to do with the coronavirus, actually. That our human life is going along as it does, and that our practice arises and kind of throws us off our cushion for some time and then we find, you know, we struggle to find our balance and we find, you know, we find our center again and then we're thrown off again. And this is a human life. And um, reflecting on that, uh, that feeling of we're all doing this together. Now that's always the truth, isn't it? Always. And yet, we don't necessarily uh, feel it sometimes, and um, and then we struggle even harder. <laughs> um, so I thought this morning I would actually I wanted to uh, read a story. It's one of our um, one of our Zen stories. This one is uh, about two of our ancestors, actually story of uh, Yakusan Igen or Yaoshan Weiyan going to see uh, 
to find a teacher and to uh, talk about the Dharma. He was a student of uh, Shirto or Sekito Kisen. And first, when he was, uh, he was studying under a Vinaya master for a while and was very smart and mastered all the sutras and shastras. And he strictly adhered to all of the Vinaya rules as well. Um, at some point, he, he became dissatisfied, however, and decided to go out and uh, uh, go out on pilgrimage. He first went off and he found uh, Sekito Kisen. By the way, he's in our lineage. He's the author of the Harmony of Difference and Equality, a poem that we chant. Yaoshan, or Yakusan, first went to Shirto, or Sekito's place, he asked, I have a general understanding of the three vehicles and the 12 divisions of scripture. Now I want to find out about the Southern teaching of pointing directly at mind, seeing self-nature and becoming a Buddha. Truly, I'm not clear about this teaching and I ask for the master's compassionate instruction. Sekito said, you can't attain it this way. You can't attain it not this way. Trying to attain it this way or not this way, it can't be attained. So what will you do? Yakusan was confused. Sekito then said, your affinity is not at this place. Go to Master Matsu's place. So Yakusan went and paid his respects to Matsu in accordance with Sekito's instruction. He then posed the same question to Matsu that he had previously presented to Sekito. Master Matsu said, sometimes I teach it by raising my eyebrows and blinking my eyes. Sometimes I don't teach it by raising my eyebrows and blinking my eyes. Sometimes raising my eyebrows and blinking my eyes is it. Sometimes raising my eyebrows and blinking my, my eyes isn't it. So what will you do? At these words, Yakusan was enlightened. He then bowed to Matsu. And Matsu said, what principle have you observed that makes you bow? Yakusan said, when I was at uh, Sekito's place, it was like a mosquito on an iron bull. Matsu said, since you are thus, uphold and sustain it well. And Yakusan then served as Matsu's attendant for three years. One day, Matsu asked him, what have you seen lately? I love these questions. <laughs> what have you seen lately? I'm going to come back to that one. Yaoshan said, or Yakusan said, shedding the skin completely, leaving only the true body. Matsu said, your attainment can be said to be in accord with the mind body, spreading through its four limbs. Since it's like this, you should bind your things to your stomach and go traveling to other mountains. Yakusan said, who am I to speak of being head of a Zen mountain? Matsu said, that's not what I mean. Those who haven't gone on a long pilgrimage can't reside as an abbot. There's no advantage to seeking advantage. There's no advantage to seeking advantage. Nothing is accomplished by seeking something. You should go on a journey and not remain in this place. And Yakusan then left Master Matsu and returned to his original teacher, Sekito Kisen.
So I'm not sure what this story evokes in, in you, if anything, maybe it's perplexing. Maybe it's one of those uh, Zen stories, which makes you feel like, uh, oh, never mind. I don't even want to do this practice. <laughs> I have to confess that my early, my early, um, my early Buddhist practice, I, I was not, um, yeah, Zen, Zen definitely did not do it for me as an analytic philosophy teacher <laughs> uh, trained in, in analytic philosophy, it was uh, uh, excruciating to look at Zen koans and to have that um, linear thinking be rattled or turned upside down or on its head. I didn't appreciate it. And actually maybe it's only through uh, many many hours and days and weeks and months, <laughs> years of sitting that um, I've come to really greatly appreciate these stories that are perplexing. But I wanna unravel it a little bit and shed some light on this, this, uh, this story. In particular, what does this mean, this raising one's eyebrows and blinking? Sometimes I raise my eyebrows and I blink. Sometimes, I don't raise my eyebrows and blink. Sometimes raising the eyebrows and blinking is just right. Sometimes it's not just right. I think when I read this story now, I, I think the reason this story comes to me at these, during this time is that we don't know. And sometimes we think, oh, my practice looks this way, and this is what I need to do for my practice to advance in my practice, right? How many of us think of, we're constantly kind of reflecting and gazing at our, our life and who we are in it, and kind of, you know, subtly or not so subtly judging our, uh, you know, am I doing okay? Am I not doing okay? Are you okay? Am I okay with you? I don't know. Maybe you're not okay with me. Right? And there's this constant kind of looking and trying to come to some aha, <laughs> I understand moment, or having everything make sense. And sometimes that's what we, are, we have, and sometimes that's not what we have. This raising one's eyebrows and blinking, of course, uh, arises in many other stories throughout, um, throughout our literature. You know that in the um, the first transmission story, uh, in the transmission of the light, the first transmission occurred between Shakyamuni Buddha and his student uh, Mahakashyapa. This is the story of um, the Buddha expounding and to this whole assembly, looking out over this field of of uh, earnest practitioners. And he wordlessly, he picks up a flower and holds it out to the assembly and gazes at everyone. And Mahakashapa smiles. And thus, this is his, uh, uh, this is the transmission story. But this is viewed by, by this raising one's eyebrows. And I will read this. The first patriarch was Mahakashyapa. Once the world honored one held up a flower and blinked. 
Kashyapa smiled. The world-honored one said, I have the treasury of the eye of the true Dharma and wondrous mind of Nirvana, and thus I transmit it to Mahakashyapa. This blinking, getting back to this blinking, although the seasons change and the mountains, rivers, and great earth are different over time, you should realize that because this is the old fellow Gotama raising his eyebrows and blinking his eyes. All this that is that body, that big, that Buddha body, standing independently and openly within the myriad things. It brushes aside the myriad things and does not brush aside the myriad things. Zen Master Fion said, you cannot say whether it brushes aside or does not brush aside. Zen Master Dijong said, what do you mean by myriad things? So this question, what is meant by myriad things? This is the world that we live in, the myriad things world. <laughs> it is the world right here, right now. And sometimes it looks this way and sometimes it looks that way. Sometimes it feels like we're practicing and we're reaping the benefits of our practice, the fruits. And sometimes it feels like we're struggling. Maybe this is not, uh, not such a stunning revelation, but I think it's deeply profound because I think we get caught so easily in, um, in this idea that there's some understanding that once when we grasp it, all will be well. Sometimes you feel this, you, you, uh, you know, there's these Zen stories, like, for example, the story of the, um, do you know the story of the man with the tigers? So this man was walking across a field and um, a he came upon a tiger and the tiger gave chase and he fled and running and running and he was getting exhausted and he came upon a precipice and without really thinking, he just leaped over and found that there was a vine an old vine that he could grab onto. So he was protected from this tiger that was gnashing its teeth ahead of, uh, above him. So he grabbed onto the vine and was looking around, like, how do I get out of this situation? Looking below, he could have, you know, let himself fall down below, except there was another tiger there, also leaping up at him, licking its lips, very hungry tigers. And as the story goes, the man in this moment of seeing tigers above and tigers below, and this feeling of despair at his, at his circumstances, complete despair. What does he do? He notices at that moment a ripe, red, luscious strawberry. And letting go of the vine with one hand, he plucks the strawberry, pops it in his mouth, and eats it, and is uh, overwhelmed by its sweetness. <laughs> That story is uh, often, often used as a, uh, as a description of being present to this moment, right? No future, no past, just this, just right now. And of course, what a lovely story, yes? Is it always that way? Not always so. Actually, the end of the, the case that I just read, the, the case of... Um, the transmission story of Shakyamuni Buddha, Kazan, who collect, uh, was the collector of the, this particular volume of works, uh, transmission stories, 
The final verse that Kazon offers is this. He says, this mountain monk would like to say a few humble words about this case. Would you like to listen? A splendid branch issues from the old plum tree. At the same time, obstructing thorns flourish everywhere. <laughs> Isn't this our life? Such beauty, um, so incredible. And yet, right alongside with it, there can be such uh, fear, anxiety, Pardon me, my cat is uh, loving on the computer behind it. <laughs> um, so is there any, um, any uh, uh, do we take any solace from these stories? Are the point of the stories to, uh, to give us solace? Is the point of our practice to give us solace. When we, um, I think Bruce or somebody announced that we're gonna be doing an Earth Day celebration uh, on this uh, upcoming Wednesday, I think that was announced, yes. Um, why do we do these celebrations? How can we make us, how can we be celebrating in this time? one of the um, many practices that come into, uh, into putting on a ceremony like this Earth Day ceremony. There's some of these practices that uh, I shared on the, on the uh, recent newsletter that came out. Um, there are various, you can consider them to be purification practices um, of demarking a space as a sacred space. Um, earlier this week during, I think it was maybe the preset group, I think uh, maybe it was Cole, asked this question of, is there magic in Zen? And I said, without any hesitation, of course. <laughs> and later on, I thought, where, what is that? Where did that come from? Is there magic? Yes, there is magic in Zen. Of course there's magic. What isn't magic? whether something is ordinary or sacred, beyond those, uh, those distinctions, that, distinctions that we make, what we craft in our own minds, beyond those distinctions, what is there? I think the invitation in this Earth Day ceremony is to connect deeply with your true nature, actually, with our whole Earth, with the entire universe, whether it's just the moon reflected in a dewdrop, or it's the, uh, um, the physical space of the front yard of Austin Zen Center, whether it's the space that you have in your, um, you know, out, that you see outside of your window, the sounds that come in through, an, um, through the screen during these times when we can actually have our windows open and it's very pleasant, the sounds of, uh, the morning dove, perhaps. Uh, recently, I think I may, maybe maybe I mentioned this last week. Um, we have this little pond here. This you know very small. I wouldn't even call it a pond. It's like a little puddle. But um, back a few days ago, it was very warm. When it was warm, we had um, three big fat frogs 
that came and decided to be in our pond. <laughs> they were very, 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 very loud <laughs> to the point where our neighbors started to text us. <laughs> ah, how nature comes in, you know, when we let it, when we open the, when we open the window. So this Earth Day ceremony, there are some of these practices that are, um, uh, as I mentioned, you could call them purification practices, but it's, in some sense, I don't want to say purification as if there's something that's defiled that needs purifying. And at the same time, we wash our hands, right? We take care of one another um, by keeping our hands clean and by not touching our own face with our hands uh, when we're in public, right? And as I mentioned last week, it's not just to protect ourselves, actually, it's to protect everybody, right? That everybody who comes after us, after we start touching things, you know, and comes along afterwards and uh, touches those same things during this time, these are, the, these are some of the ways that we can take care uh, of each other. At the Earth Day celebration, um, one of the invitations is to construct these lightning zigzag wands, right? And these are from, these are, they're called shide. They're a, uh, a Japanese um, uh, custom. You mostly, they're, they're from the Shinto uh, religion, which I would say, I mean, the way it was explained to me, by my mom. My mom was Shinto, but she described that basically everybody in, in Japan pretty much is Shinto. You can be Shinto and Christian. You can be Shinto and Buddhist. <laughs> it's a, uh, an, a natural and um, a kind of naturalistic religion, maybe. Um, ah, look at that. Somebody has a shide. It looks like a giant braid. <laughs> Is that, wow, did you just make that? So in making these shide, one thing that I would like to say is um, if you decide to make one, to take the opportunity when you make it to become close to your intention, right? It could be anything. And again, like give yourself a very wide field to feel what you're feeling, to see, to look, look inside and not prejudge what's you, what you'll find actually to just open yourself and see what's there, see what your intention is before sitting down to make a shide and wash your hands and wash the space before you sit down at the table. You know, when maybe even take the, each of the items that you use when you're constructing the shide, each of the items, like hold it, you know, hold it with care, whether it's an X-Acto knife that you're using or a pair of scissors that you're going to use to cut the paper. And then when you're folding it, right, feel the, the paper in your hands, the roughness or smoothness of the paper. And, you know, looking at instructions, like, Take, an op take it as an opportunity to make the shide itself in, a, in your own, you know, using your own body and mind uh, and the objects that you're using, paper, um, pencil, a ruler, maybe, 
scissors to really respect each of the items that you use to make it. And with your own intention, opening up to what, what you find inside and um, bringing your mindfulness to the folds in the paper, right? In this experience, what I think, uh, what my hope is, and what my, uh, my feeling of it is, is that you will drop body and mind, that somehow the past dissolves, the future has not come yet, and that you can be, um, you can be with your, your, uh, your intention with the paper opening your senses to whatever the experience is. Um, in that way, that is what I mean by uh, purity, right? Purifying as in like refining, uh, letting go of anything that's extra or extraneous, just being with what is in your whole setup, right? And in so doing, constructing a shide, then you can use that shide and you can place it somewhere to mark that this this space is uh, is sacred. This very space is sacred. Now in Zen, of course, um, oftentimes you may hear like nothing holy, right? What does that mean, nothing holy? Bodhidharma, our ancestor, said nothing holy when he went to see the emperor Wu. The emperor Wu, you know, asked him, who is it? You know, who is it standing here? This you know, this pilgrim, right? What is the meaning, the highest meaning of the holy truths? What is the most important thing, right? All of these things, like, how, what can we grab onto? Nothing holy was Bodhidharma's response. So, holy or not holy, blinking one's eyes or not blinking one's eyes, how do we come to this moment? When I see people in practice discussion and the uh, earnestness and the, um, the, there's so much beauty in um, this stepping back from all the myriad things and just being with what is right now in this moment and expressing that forming an expression coming from that place. Um, I wish I could share that with every one of you. And I know that you have that um, right there in your own body, mind, your heart, mind, this pure expression of just this, just this is it. So I had uh, wanted to go back to this story of um, I think I lost my place. When I said, here it is. In the story when Yakusan went to see uh, Matsu after leaving uh, Sekito's place, and he described it as, when I was at Sekito's place, it was like a mosquito on an iron bull. This expression of an, being like a mosquito trying to bite an iron bull. How many times does it feel like uh, our lives are like this? We're trying hard. There's so much efforting, efforting to uh, 
to, we don't even maybe know what we just, there's this push to like turn something or understand something or um, grasp, you know, what is this? What am I, right? What's important? What should I be paying attention to? Notice the word should, right? When the word should comes up. And how can we step back from that in, you know, not just in this time. In this time, as I said, many people, they're, the, despite the, the, the cloud of coronavirus uh, cast across the entire world, um, still our ordinary life continues. People are born, people die, people defend their dissertations and become doctors. We had a, one of our board members uh, just defended, I, I assume over something like Zoom, just uh, yesterday, I guess. Yeah, yesterday, right? Life goes on, life and death go on. So how do we, um, how do we pluck the strawberry when there's a strawberry to pluck? And how do we be when there is no strawberry? So I'm not sure that anything I have said makes any sense and that's okay. I think the main point that I want to bring to all of you is I wish for all of you, myself included, to appreciate this moment, to appreciate your life and to make space for that. Make, making space for, uh, for whatever it is that arises, whether it's something that we deem to be good or something we deem to be bad, right? to allow this sometimes blinking, sometimes not blinking, to allow that into our lives in a very profound way. How do we do that? How do we prepare? Uh, how do we see our, our Zafu as, for example, one place of many where we can um, we can just sit down. We don't need for our sitting experience to be um, deep and profound. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Right? It would be a mistake, however, to think that um, when we aren't having a deep and profound experience, that somehow that's not uh, that's not worthwhile or that we're not doing it right. Um, so I'm not sure if there was anything, I, th I have this feeling that I was, there was something I wanted to return to, but I'm not remembering what it was. So maybe that's a, my cue to say, uh, <laughs> please appreciate your life. That's the main point. And um, maybe it's uh, time to open up to comments, expressions, thoughts. Ah, there's some somebody. There's a bunch of things happening in the chat. Chat. Uh, is the cat the tiger or the strawberry? Oh. <laughs> and Bruce shared the Earth Day link. And then Chu, 
the question of what have you seen lately? Oh, yes, thank you. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yes, so this what have you seen lately? I think this is what I mean by appreciating your life. Like, be there for it. What have you seen lately? What has touched you? It could be something positive. It could be something negative. Beyond positive and negative. Something that, um, you know, when I, when I hear the sounds of the helicopters, I live near a medical center, and I hear sounds of helicopters more than I, I think, you know, in my mind it feels like, ooh, there's more than usual. And my mind goes to, you know, uh, is, is the person in the helicopter okay? Is this a trauma helicopter? Of course it is. What's going on? Oh, this is, you know, scary, right? But if I can just have the sound of the helicopter, it, it can include all of my fears and anxieties and well-wishing, right? And it can also just be a sound. Sometimes things stay on the surface and sometimes they dip down deeper into our psyches. We don't know uh, the effects of all the myriad things as they unfold. All we can do is show up, be honest as much as we can with ourselves first and then with each other, right? So I think that's what I meant, this question of what have you seen lately? What are your experiences? And how, how does your uh, mind and body resonate with the myriad things unfolding in our lives? Thank you, Shu, for, uh, for remembering that. So, it is really lovely to see all of you. I wish we were uh, in person, non-mediated through a screen, but I don't know how many times I'm gonna be uh, saying that. Maybe I'll, I'll stop wishing and just accept that sometimes we're, uh, see, we see each other through a screen. And sometimes we see each other in the flesh. We are just here. Yes, Rob. So um, I've been working from home for five You are now. muted. I'm still muted? Not muted, just quiet. Okay. I'm, I'm assuming people can hear. No, I cannot hear you. I'm not yeah. sure that you're... you're um, because it's not muted through Zoom. Okay, just one minute. They're gonna. Yeah, okay. we can. Other, others can get back can to hear. Rob in a moment. Others can hear him. I think Mako, your sound might be muted. I see oh. people doing these kinds of things. <laughs> people uh, wave your hands. Karen, you Karen, you're saying something, but you're also muted. I think Cole can hear me. Yeah, we can hear Rob. Okay. Uh, is it me that's muted? Is it me that, how? Oh! How is that possible? Okay, well, my speaker is off. Okay, can you hear me now, Demarco? Oh dear. How about now? Can you hear me now, Marco? I can hear you now. Okay, great, excellent. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I've been working at home for five weeks now. Um, I've got a team that I work with about 15 people. And I would say that this experience of working from home for me personally has really brought home this idea of inter interdependence because I am not there um, sharing the same space with my coworkers and I feel, I feel so disconnected, um, but somehow things are still getting done. And it's, it's, um, it's occurring to me just how much um, I, I rely on my coworkers to make things happen. And that for some, like that, I'm just a person sitting in my home, uh, typing away at the keyboard, and I feel so helpless um, and dependent on, on, on everybody on the team. And so for me, it's really brought home this idea of interde interdependence and um, kind of a lack of control, but then, but then a, a, a huge feeling of gratitude when things do get done. Um, so it's just been very, very interesting. Um, it's magic. It's magic. Yeah. And I will say these are um, a lot of fun to make. And especially you can experiment with um, different widths and so forth. So this one's like a little tapered on the ends and it's a little bigger in the middle. Mm. And then the last thing I'll say, which has been a little bit vexing for me, is in Zoom, I'm realizing that the view of yourself that you have is a mirror image. It's not what other people see, I believe. <laughs> and so like when I'm sitting here, Anne is to my left, but on the screen, it looks like she's to my right. And I don't know why that is, but something to think about. So thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Rob. Well then, I hope that, um, that each of you um, find that one that blinks its eyes sometimes. And maybe, um, maybe we'll see you at the Earth Day ceremony, which I think we're going to um, chant the Mountains and Waters Sutra. And, um, and then also uh, make space for our intentions and then read them. We'll read them at the ceremony. And uh, I don't know if um, it was mentioned about the ceremony, but there will also be a space in the ceremony for people to, uh, to offer their words. Um, Marco, I think somebody has a question. Oh. Julie? Julie. Julie. Hand with a question. Yes. How do I? How do I? Uh, uh, <laughs> um, I see a raised hand. I can just see my comment. Hi, Mako. <laughs> Julie, it's so good to see you. <laughs> Julie is is here from Berkeley. From um, the Peninsula Bay Area. Welcome. <laughs> so um, yeah. So one benefit of this whole situation is I get to join you guys virtually. I just wanted to make a comment, which is, you know, I followed your talk and um, it's interesting. This is why I love Zen. I, 
I have this feeling of like, what is going on? <laughs> and I can't totally remember any, you know, a lot from the talk, but I feel more integrated. I feel more connected. And um, I think that that was so striking. Mm. You know? it, 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 yeah, it's like this, just listening to the talk is trying to wrap my head around everything. It was not really happening, but somehow in my body, I just feel more connected. So thank you, Marco. Thank you. <laughs> In Austin Zen Center. <laughs> I, I met Julie. Julie, when did when was it that we practiced together at Tassajara? It was over ten years ago. I can't believe it. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. It's and so wonderful to see this sangha. Thank you. All right. Oh, here's a question. There's a question. When will the station for writing intentions be ready? Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, um, we'll have this uh, uh, set up at the base of the post oak tree. There will be um, uh, some, some of these imas, these, these uh, pieces of paper that are there for writing a, an intention. I think what we're going to do, because it's supposed to rain some sporadically in the next couple of days, we'll have a um, a jar set up at the table so that you can write your intention. Um, there'll be some Sharpies there, so you don't need to bring your own Sharpie, but there will be Sharpies there. And actually we decided that we were gonna have the Sharpies sitting in a Lysol solution. <laughs> so that when you come, you can take them out and they'll be wet, just shake them off and then use them, put the cap back on and stick it back into the solution. And, um, and then just keep the intention um, as the days get, if it looks like it's not going to rain, you can hang the intention in the, uh, around the tree. There'll be string there for you to hang it. Um, but then the day of the ceremony, we'll take all the intentions that have not been strung up already and we'll, we'll hang them um, for the ceremony itself. And what time? The question is what time? What time? Uh, well, here, here's a question for all of you. What is the earliest time that you can conceive of coming by tomorrow morning <laughs> to write an intention? Do I hear a 10 o'clock? 10 o'clock is the earliest time? Yeah, okay. Two 10 o'clock. All right, by 10 o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. So by 10 o'clock tomorrow, please feel free to come by and, and uh, offer an intention. If you are uh, sheltering in place at home and are um, uh, not inclined to leave your house and go all the way over to the Austin Zen Center, and you don't mind if somebody writes out your intention on one of these little plaques um, for you, then you can submit your intentions on our online form. Uh, so if you go to the website and click on the Earth Day ceremony post, there is a little form there where you can fill in as many intentions as you like. Uh, well, as long as they fit in the little, you know, form field. And, um, and we'll, we'll write them up for you and, and hang them and to be read at the, at the ceremony. So thank you all so much for your practice, for your uh, uh, diligent or not so diligent efforts, actually. Just thank you for being and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day.